I think it's perceptive. I hope you do too. I, I'm I'm literally waiting with well, bated breath. I learned breath. it from somebody. All right, else. Well, okay. Of course, as we did mostly. My father <laughs> used to always say, "There's nothing new under the sun." That's it's true. It's a question of picking what is really right. Everybody. Welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on modern marketing. I am super thrilled today to have Dr. Joel Myers, the founder and CEO of AccuWeather. Joel, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Delighted to be here. So we can start anywhere, but I, I'm always interested by people's stories. So tell me a little bit about how you first got interested in the weather. When I was growing up, I think I was three years old, I fell in love with snow. <laughs> And by the time I was seven, I knew I wanted to be a weather forecaster. And uh, my grandmother actually gave me a diary, and I started writing in the weather conditions in the wintertime. So I'd make a note of when it snowed and how much and so on. So I knew then, at an early age, that uh, that was my dream. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, then when I was 11, my father showed me an article about a meteorologist who was selling forecasts to fuel oil dealers. And since I was entrepreneurial as a kid, I had a paper out. I served the evening bulletin and, and uh, looked for other ways to make money. And uh, that was my real dream, to combine my burning desire to be a weather forecaster with uh, my entrepreneurial spirit. So I was looking ahead, too, but even when I was 11 years old. That's amazing. I love that. So how did you sort of branch out in, in, in really discovering that there was a, a significant business opportunity in weather and forecasting and weather data? Like, when did that sort of launch as a, as a business? Well, of course, I had a great opportunity to go to Penn State. Yep. Uh, it was the only place I could afford to go to study meteorology. It turned out because it was a state university, tuition was low. But and, Penn State is like, it is meteorology, isn't well, it? Well, <laughs> that's why I was lucky and blessed. It, it was the top meteorological program in the world. Yep. And I got a great education. I got great mentorship. Stayed on for two graduate degrees, had the opportunity to teach for 21 years, do research. And Charlie Hosler, who was my mentor and a great guy, and he's still alive and he's 95 and he's still going strong. But he <laughs> uh, really gave me the opportunity for my first client, knew of my dream. I was a graduate student, second-year graduate student, and the local natural gas company called and wanted somebody to do forecasts for the upcoming five days so they could plan their send-out and yep. their needs and so on. And so... They were my first client, so uh, I charged them $50 a month for three winter months, and AccuWeather had $150 in annual revenue, and we were off and running. <laughs> After that, it wasn't that easy. What's your current annual revenue? Well, we don't quote that. <laughs> but it's more than $150. Bucks. Uh, you can bet on that. <laughs> we have about 500 employees. We're the largest source of weather forecasts and warnings in the world. But it was tough to get people to buy my services. Yeah. It was almost unimaginable. People thought I was crazy trying to charge for weather forecasts. Well, they say weather forecasts are free. The government gives them away. They've got over 5,000 employees. You're one person. How can you possibly yep. be better, more accurate, whatever you're claiming? So I had to call 25,000 prospects before I had 100 paying customers over the subsequent uh, nine years, which meant I had 24,900 rejections. <laughs> Now, that's a lot of rejections. How did you find a way to sort of persevere and not give up through that? I just kept persevering. Uh, <laughs> so so this, the, the, the key to persevering is, is perseverance. perseverance. Okay. Uh, I just I, kept at it. You know, don't, you know, I've always told people, 
stick to your mantra, don't give up, refine your message. Yeah. I would call, you know, hundreds of people in a month and get no, 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 no. I yep. kept calling people. I remember Hunter Mountain Skier is a, a classic example. Orville Slutsky uh, owned it. You know, they did a big business in the Catskills and he wouldn't hear of it. He said, we know the weather on this mountain. We we listen to all the radio reports. We, we keep on top of it. You know, we're practically meteorologists, this and that. So I went out. <laughs> anybody can do this. That was his well, argument. Well, not anybody, but he knew. <laughs> he didn't know a lot about the weather, but okay. not everything. So um, I kept at it, kept at it. And yeah. after two or three years, finally, I said, listen, Orville, the ski areas around here are using the service. So give it a 10-day free trial. Give it to you for free. No, 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 no. Finally, the next year, okay, took a free trial to get me off his back, probably, right? because I was taking up too much of his time, just calling him all the time. <laughs> so he tried, and then after 10 days, I said, well, nah, I don't know, but give me another 10 days, and another 10 days. And finally, after 40 days, I said, Orville, all right, I'll pay you the $95 a month. I'll try it for a month. He was a client for 35 years. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. So when you kind of look back now, were there one or two pivotal moments that took you from, all right, it took me nine years to get 100 clients. How did the sort of acceleration of the business occur? And are there sort of one or two big moments in that? I think there are a lot of them, but it's always been a labor of love and and a lot of work. Hmm. But I've been blessed with great employees, people that have stayed with me for a long period of time. In fact, in the last year, three meteorologists retired, one became an executive, uh, Elliot Abrams, uh, Ken Clark, and Jim Cantor, they spent their entire career working for me. They were my former students. Sure. Some of them started uh, as interns over the summer before they even graduated. Uh, and uh, so they worked part-time as undergraduates. I hired them out of uh, college uh, once they you know, did well in my forecasting course that I taught. Ken Clark worked for me 44 and a half years. Jim Cantor, 39, Elliot Abrams, 52 years, their entire career at AccuWeather. With that kind of uh, dedication and uh, so many people just following my dream, dedicated to it, I've been extremely lucky and blessed, and that's been part of it along the way. So we've had, in 57 years since I started the company, we've had 55 years of increased revenue from the year before. Never taken any AP money, venture capital money. It's all been internally funded with very little debt. Just dedication and and constant growth. So what were some of the, well, some of the great forecasts we did? We got a lot of publicity. First was Hurricane Agnes. Nobody else predicted death and destruction and flooding. We did. But along the way, many other situations. Snowstorms we predicted. Nobody else saw them coming. And taking the other side of it. I remember I was on 1010 Winds here in New York uh, back in the late 70s. And on all the other stations, they were predicting six, seven inches of snow, and we were predicting nothing. And I'd be because <laughs> I, I felt the storm would stay about 20, 30 miles offshore, yep. which was great precision in those days. And so just held to it every time I do the Q&A, three, three times an hour. Yep. Joel, when's the snow going to start? I say, no, the 1010 winds AccuWeather forecast does not have snow in the forecast. <laughs> he must be listening to the other stations. We don't expect there to be any snow. So we held out, yep. and uh, there was not a flake of snow in the city. So... Dramatic examples like that and other cases where we saved lives. Hurricane uh, Katrina in in 2005, where we uh, warned people to get out. We saved 11,000 lives. We were cited by Congress. We had an extreme forecast. We said, we know what it is to cry wolf. We're not crying wolf. And uh, get out. And so 
we said that three days ahead, right up to hit, 50 to 70% of the city in New Orleans would be underwater for days or weeks. Going to be a disaster. At the same time, the National Hurricane Center said there'll be minimal damage in the city of New Orleans. In fact, uh, Max Mayfield, the head of the National Hurricane Center, briefed President Bush the night before it hit with that same quote. There'll be minimal damage. The city of New Orleans do not believe those crazy reports. Those crazy reports were coming from AccuWeather, and they yeah. were right. Yeah. And we've had many examples of that along the way. So it's that difference, that strive to be the most accurate. Sure. To have a more accurate assessment of the impact that we've always been about. When you look across that sort of history of accuracy, is there something different in your approach? How can you be more accurate? Well, that's a question I've been answering for 57 years. And, well, I'm and glad it, I'm not the first. No, you're not. <laughs> and it's a, it's a logical and first question. Yeah. Well, first of all, we bring more weather data and more weather models into our facility, our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, than any other place on the planet. We bring in 176 models. You've heard about the European model yep. and all the models from the National Weather Service, NOAA, and so on, and <clears throat> the Canadian uh, model and so on. We bring all those in, and we use big data, and we use AI before it was called that. In other words, taking the best of each model in terms of uh, parameter precipitation versus rain let's uh, versus uh, temperatures, let's say, uh, what area of the country, what time period, uh, three to five days versus eight to 16 or whatever. And so taking the best of each model for all those things, which is sort of AI in a sense, and having that done by the computer, and then on top of that, having 100 meteorologists that have skill, verifiable ability to provide greater accuracy on top of that is part of the way we're able to do it. And we're driven. You come to, onto our forecast floor, it looks like a war room every day. And, and these are people that come to work dedicated to win, to beat everybody else, to have the most accurate forecast. Mm. That's how they get their satisfaction. It's the Super Bowl of weather. Other people may not know they're competing with us, but we're there to <laughs> but win. But they are. Because that's what it's all about. And uh, we take our name seriously, AccuWeather, Accurate Weather. And that's what we're all about. You know, obviously, AI plays a massive role, I would assume, in your business these days. And there's a, a pretty significant, I'm guessing, digital transformation to how that's changed even in the past several years. What has that change looked like for you? Well, you're right. And, and the uh, part of our success has been to constantly look ahead. You know, I've been fascinated by the prediction business mm -hmm. in a lot of different aspects. I mean, I run a hedge fund on the side that is based on prediction. Just on the side, a hedge fund. <laughs> yeah, for family and friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. I've, uh, family and friends. I, I've beaten the S&P 500 by a couple percent over 30-some years. But being able to try and look ahead and foresee yep. the changes that are coming has always been fascinating for me. And, and, of course, it applies to business. Business is changing more rapidly than ever. Mm. And businesses that can't keep up fall behind. You know, in 1960, the average company in the S&P 500 lasted 59 years. Today, it's 18. Yep. And uh, within 10 years, it'll be 10 or less. And what that says about current valuations is a different story. But the fact is that we've got to be changing dramatically. Yep. You know, 500 years ago, Data and information the humans had doubled every 500 years. 100 years ago, it doubled every 100 years. Now, data is doubling every two years. Yeah. In three years, it'll double every year, and then in 10 years, every month. And that has, since compounding, as Einstein says, the eighth wonder of the world, that has profound impact. Yes. 
for humans, and it's going to affect everything. For money, you already see cryptocurrency. Who knows where all that's going? And every aspect of society. So in that sort of sea of change that you describe, how do you keep your business vibrant and your people sort of focused on all of that or managing all of that change? You have like a sort of two or three step mantra or is there something in it where you've, because you've obviously been incredibly successful in a lot of different time periods. How, how do you do that? Through creativity, innovation, and having a mindset of entrepreneurship applying throughout the entire process. I've been fortunate that I've been able to instill that and create that kind of culture sure. where that gets rewarded and, and people want to be part of that. And so talented people... Uh, are drawn to that and because they make a difference. And really, look at all the lives we've saved, how much of a difference we make. And it can be every day because the weather impacts things as much as anything. It sure. affects your travel plans. Sure. It affects whether you can have a barbecue, if you're having a wedding outside, if you're flying here or there. Everything you do or plan is affected by the weather in one way or another, and more so than ever because in a relative sense. Because yep. over the last 50 years, we've gotten control of many of the things that used to cause uncertainty in our lives. I remember when I was young, my father's car wouldn't always start. You know, we'd go away <laughs> to the country on a weekend, and one uh. weekend and three, he couldn't get it started. Yeah, so, I mean, we depend on so many things today to work. I mean, yep. there hasn't been a death in a commercial airline accident in the United States in 10 years. If you would have told people 25 years ago, yeah. That would be the case for even one year. They yeah. wouldn't believe you. Yeah. So the, the progress through technology and, and digital and so on has been incredible. But the weather is we, something we still can't control, and it still has, relatively speaking, more of an impact than ever. And that's where we come in, and we not only provide accurate forecasts statistically when you measure temperature precipitation more than anybody else, but it's more than that. It's ex describing the weather, the impact in so many ways. That's how we help businesses. Yeah. We're, work for thousands of businesses and people and so on. So they make the right decision, how to keep their family safe, how to make the right decision about their activities. And that's why they're drawn, drawn to the AccuWeather app and to the AccuWeather forecast. So weather is, is one of the most important, or weather data is one of the most important commercial data sources in the world, right? It has all kinds of behavioral impacts. So as a marketer, it's a fascinating thing to sort of spend a bit of time with. I got to spend a little bit of time with it when I was at IBM, which is where I worked previously. How do you talk to brands and to companies about that impact? Well, I've been talking about that for 50 years. Yeah. People are paying more attention today. Yeah, a uh, lot more. But a lot of the studies that have been done, you know, companies say, oh, we didn't find any correlation. We thought there would be and this and that. So they said, well, how'd you do it? Well, or, our scientists, or this, they, they got data from the National Climatic Center in Asheville, North Carolina, and we ran these correlations. I said, well, first of all, did you know that uh, if there was uncertainty about the high temperature or if the thermometer was inaccurate, they would just put in 999 as the high or the low? <laughs> you want a correlation with that, and even if you have one or two of those a month, you're not going to get very good results. Uh, what about describing the day, a tenth of an inch of rain. You run a correlation, well, some days you get a tenth of an inch of rain in a five-minute shower, and it's sunny the rest of the day. And another day, you may get that spread in over 12 hours in a drizzle. Totally different days. That day's overcast, yep. the other day's bright. Whatever impact you're talking about in terms of uh, 
uh, people's activities and, and how they react to things is totally different. So you have to use meteorological data scientists like we have yep. to work with whatever parameters and information and data the company has to get that kind of result. And we've done a lot of that. We worked with uh, Starbucks to look at the mix of iced coffee and uh, regular coffee sure. and find at 65 degrees you get a very different mix in Seattle than you do in Cincinnati or you do in Atlanta. And so that helps uh, prepare for the day and the staffing and so on. We, with Spotify, we did an analysis of the playlist yep. of the songs. And again, with different weather conditions, take the same conditions, yep. cloudy and 70 degrees in Cincinnati, you get a very different playlist than you do in New York than you, or you do in Seattle. So the weather, we know for a fact that the weather has these kinds of impact. And I can cite hundreds more, and we work with companies to do that. But there's so much more to be done. Yeah. So on that last point, so much more to be done. If you had a little bit of advice to give to a chief marketing officer at a big brand uh, or a, a suite of brands about how to think about ways that weather can impact the way that they're engaging people, the way that they're either selling more product or planning better, wh what would you sort of tell them to do? Well, they'll call us because we can help them. <laughs> right, other uh, than the obvious. Uh, so there are different uh, impacts on the short range. Yep. Minute by minute, uh, you, you're near a store and, and uh, it starts raining, you need an umbrella. Yep. If you know it's going to rain in 10 minutes, you know, promote the umbrella. If you know people are nearby. I mean, that's one example. Like We know that people are 16% more likely to buy a four-wheel drive if it's snowing outside when they're in the showroom looking at cars. So short-term, there are effects. Then there's yep. planning further ahead, you know, over yep. two days, three days, a week, two weeks ahead. Then further ahead, you know, when's the first snowfall going to be? It's going to be in late November this year. Next year, it may be in early November. So using longer-range forecasts, what kind of a summer is going to be hot or cold, yep. wet or dry, and so on. So uh, you can use it depending on the time period, depending on what your product is. Clearly, there's no one quick answer, yep. uh, one fits all, but there are those kinds of things to qualify and clarify what kind of product you have, what time period you have. Some companies producing air conditioners, yep. you may need a lead time of 270 days. Yep. So you can't do anything with a shorter range forecast. That's really a, a seasonal forecast pretty far out. And of course, the forecasts become less accurate and less dependable the further out you go. But there's still some information that can be valuable in that kind of planning. Sure. You mentioned something a couple minutes ago, and it was the word creativity. That is, in a lot of ways, the business that we are in, our stock and trade, right? We are an idea-based industry. Whether you're a media agency or a creative shop or a digital shop, your key to success is your ability to leverage creativity to drive ideas. How do you keep creativity top of mind for your folks? Is there a way that you sort of describe creativity to them? Or how do you, you know, kind of get them to be creative spirits in the work that they do? Well, we have all different jobs. And so creativity is, as you say, is an all-encompassing yep. word, but you got to boil it down into action. So for a meteorologist, creativity is uh, expressing the forecast using the King's English, but in more uh, staying away from jargon, that something's going to resonate with mm. somebody. You might have seen the recent article about me in uh, Forbes. And I'm always thinking, as many of our people are, they call back in. So I was here in New York in, uh, I think it was April, 
early early May. It was uh, it should have been you know in the sixties or seventies, but it was a you may may remember that weekend. It was cold, it was and rainy, and yeah. nasty, and there yeah. was a good east wind blowing, probably forty eight degrees. I said, put the word nasty on the forecast. That best <laughs> describes it. So that kind of creativity and wording and describing yep. the weather and differentiating ourselves so there's no misunderstanding. But and then for the uh, redesign of our site and so on, you've got. The creative app mm-hmm. developers and designers and so on. How do you make it better than anybody else has? Yeah. What information goes in it? Uh, and we have new things coming. I'm not going to give them all away, but we could use a little news. Breaking news is is we're looking for that. So well, something we just did recently. You know, we invented we'll the, the real impact scale for hurricanes. You may have heard about that. Yep. So the you know so the old one to five scale. We expanded it. We put a zero in, so it's a six. To, count for tropical storms and yep. some weak hurricanes that do a lot of damage and put other factors in. It's not just the wind out over the ocean that should define a hurricane. We, the a real field temperature scale, yep. and we recently introduced the shade temperature because the real field temperature is the only, which is on our site, yep. on our app, is the only temperature that includes sunshine, that includes precipitation. It is 10 or 11 factors. It's a patented thing, so it really tells you how you feel. Yeah. But it's different on the shade than it is in the sun. Yep. Of course, at nighttime, they're both the same. But during the day, it may be 20 degrees hotter on the sunny side of the street than on the shady side. And so take account of that. And, and if it's really hot and threatening to your livelihood, uh, you know, you want to know that and yep. you want to definitely stay out of the sun. That's an example of creativity, but we have hundreds of those things. We have uh, a couple hundred patents and thousands of innovations. And, it's, uh, and we reward people for that. That's what it's all about. And that's what gets them excited, constantly improving what we're doing. Let's change gears a little bit. We live in a media-dominated world, right? It has uh, an outsized influence on a lot of things, the way we consume and digest news, the way we perceive happiness, the way we feel disconnected or, or connected to people. That's no different for the weather. I'd love your perspective on sort of the media phenomenon with the weather. I know you guys were pretty active around Hurricane Florence last year and sort of your perceptions and interpretations of what you thought was right and what you thought wasn't right and maybe how that may or may not have been not necessarily distorted but sort of become a story of its own. It seems to me that this is something that isn't going to get any better. How, how, do, we, how do we deal with that issue? Well, let's define what the issue is to begin with. All right. I mean, you, yeah. a lot of, it's a, your podcast, Joel. <clears throat> there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, issues. Some... Some uh, television stations, some networks and so on, overhype the weather. Mm. And that is not right because if you overhype the weather or if you make a uh, a warning that's not going to really occur, then you lose credibility. And yep. when that warning and that forecast calls for something that is serious, people don't listen and lives are lost. Yeah. So we take that responsibility extremely seriously because that's what we're all about and we're in this for the long term and our reputation counts. And it's uh, unfortunate that doesn't always occur, and that mm. you, and you we've all seen that. Yep. But in the long run, of course, people are smart. They're smarter than uh, usually the media gives them credit, and uh, maybe they can be fooled over certain issues for a certain period of time. But in the end, we give credit to, uh, and believe people are pretty smart. So as far as Florence is concerned, it was a very slow-moving hurricane. We knew it was going to create a great deal of flooding. And we knew that the estimates of the damage that were put out were ridiculous. Yeah. And as it turned out, we were right. Same thing with Hurricane Harvey. Yep. 
Uh, that's when we started issuing damage estimates, and it provided the basis for the real impact scale for hurricanes because I was shocked when Harvey posed a tremendous threat to uh, Houston and the surrounding areas of Texas, even into Louisiana, and Moody's came out with a forecast of 6 to $8 billion, 6 to $8 billion. So I said, that is crazy, and that's way underestimates what's going to happen. And yep. As a result, uh, people are not going to take it as seriously. So I said, we're going to issue uh, a damage estimate of $160 billion. And the next day, we raised it to 190, and 190 has been quoted, you know, after the fact. Yeah. So it's interesting because we took account of that, of the disease and the health effect on the tail yep. because of the standing water and the heat and humidity and so on. Others then used that for Marie that hit Puerto Rico, and rightly yep. so. I mean, you really have to look at the whole overall effect over six months yep. from a hurricane. But it never looked at that way before. Yeah. They just looked at how many people died right then. In the three days, in, yeah, or yeah, whatever. In the yeah. day or two or three yep. days. And the lingering effects on health and, and, yeah. and so many other factors was never considered. But they're all factors. People lose their job. Businesses shut down. You have to look at a, a six- or 12-month period what impact that storm has. It feels to me that weather is different now than even when I was growing up. And obviously there is an ongoing debate around the state of climate change and the impacts of climate change. And, you know, there's different points of view on that. But it feels like these storms are different. What's your perspective on that? Is it different? Are we entering a different cycle? Is it exacerbated by an ongoing set of developments in and around climate change? Is it, what, what's your view on that? Well, there's a lot in there. Yeah. yeah. I don't ask simple a lot, questions. A lot in that question. So <laughs> let's try and divide it up a little bit. Okay. Uh, so first of all, um, the weather is different. Yeah. The weather forecast is different than mm. you were growing up. It's much more accurate. Yeah. It's much more dependable, extends further out. And so meteorology as an enterprise, the enterprise consisting of the government, the National Weather Service, academia, which mm -hmm. does research and improves the models, and the commercial sector, which includes AccuWeather, together as an enterprise, has made enormous progress. Yep. And Nate Silver chronicled that in his book, the, the uh, Signal and the Noise, yep. as he analyzed forecasting of all sorts. Every yep. aspect of forecasting from medicine and so on and so forth to meteorology, and concluded that there was no question, given the foundation of what was available and the science and so on, meteorology made by far the most progress. Mm. And there's no comparison. And he also wrote another article, a short article, The Weatherman is Not an Idiot, where he chronicled <laughs> that very specifically. So it's a, it's a very good book. So the people are getting the benefit of that. So the weather forecasts have improved greatly. And the other factor I mentioned earlier, that the weather relative to other things we've conquered has more of an impact because yeah. we haven't conquered that. It still affects us. Now, that's part one. Part two, I'm not a climatologist. I'm a meteorologist. So I want to say that to begin with. I will say that the temperature of the Earth is increasing. Mm -hmm. Some of it is due to humans. It's not all due to humans at all likelihood because the Earth has been warming as we came out of the Ice Age from 18,000 years ago. 180 centuries ago, the water levels of the ocean were 450 lower than they are Feet, lo feet lower than they are now. There was uh, two and a half miles thick ice over Montreal, Canada. The southern extent of the ice extended down to Central Park. That's what the boulders are there for. So we've been warming from that. We'll be warming from the uh, Little Ice Age from 1650 to 1850. But clearly humans are doing things that are causing and adding to warming. 
in a lot of different ways. CO2, cutting down trees, putting in, uh, replacing land with concrete, yep. which absorbs the heat, and so on, methane, which... Uh, actually has 10 times the greenhouse impact of carbon dioxide, yep. and so on and so forth. But some of the variability in weather that are ascribed to climate change is not. Uh, remember, uh, the press said for 10 years of drought in California, the drought was due to climate change. And then for the last two years, they forgot what they wrote earlier, and they said the last two years, the flooding <clears throat> is due to climate change. But if you take the 12-year average, of precipitation, the 10 years of drought and the two years of excessive precipitation. It's about normal. And that's why 30 years is used to define normal. Sure. And so if you look back over the precipitation pattern seasonally in California, this is not atypical. So there are things like that sure. that are attributed to climate change that are not. People have always said that the weather is not like it used to be. You can go back and see in caves people talking about it. And, you know, it the snows were deeper when you were a kid. Mm. People have said that for hundreds of years. <laughs> of course, when you were a kid... I've said that. What came, well, <laughs> and you're probably right. But when you were a kid, uh, the snow that came up to your waist now comes up to your ankle. Well, not in my case, up. but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to be general. <laughs> Thank you. Let's do one more, and then we're going to jump into something that we call the lightning round, which is not really that fast, but we'll try to be fast. Well, it's appropriate, weather, lightning, but yeah, you know. I, Actually, I didn't even think of that part. The lightning round sponsored by AccuWeather. There you go. Uh-huh. You know, to accomplish this much over a career, and it's it's truly impressive, what, what has been your source of inspiration? Well, I, I think uh, I'm just a driven person. You know, I'm happy every day. I'm trying to achieve something, I guess. Uh, who knows what's a source of inspiration uh, entirely. My father committed suicide when I was 23. Hmm. I was the oldest of three boys, sort of became the patriarch, I guess, of the family. Being a dad is one of the most important things for me. But I was driven to be successful uh, and and, uh, didn't ever take no for an answer, obviously. And and accomplishing something a little unique, I guess, gives me um, pleasure. But helping people and making a difference and being able to, it's been extraordinary. So many people have worked for me their entire lives, have dedicated themselves to my dream the positive impact we've had on so many people. You know, you get, I get to see thank yous. People got rescued from Katrina. People that said, hey, you were the reason we did this or that. And, uh, you know, that's terrific. A lot of people do not get to experience that. Yeah. All right. You made it to the lightning round, Joel. Here we go. You ready? I'm sure. Okay. Best career advice you've either given or received? I guess the best advice is do what you love. Hmm. If you believe in it, Keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't give up, but keep modifying. You don't have to wind up where you started. Everybody who starts with something, is, if they're smart, will keep changing and improving. Yep. And, and I can add something to it that uh, I, I think is really perceptive. So Einstein said compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. It is the wonder of the world, hmm. whether it's investments or anything. Now, if you, if you improve something, in your personal life, your business activities, anything that you identify. If you can improve it 1% a day, 1% a day for 365 days, at the end of the year, you'll be 37.8 times as great as you are in the beginning. 37.8 times. If you slip 1% a day for 365 days, you're only 3% of what you are. And the ratio of 1% up and 1% down, 37.8, 
times over 0.03 is 1,240. Yeah. So you'll be 1,240 times as great as the if you improve 1% a day as the person that slipped 1% a day. I love the way you put that, even with the math, <laughs> which for me is tough. Do you have a favorite digital experience, not an AccuWeather experience? So any other app or desktop experience or something that you use every day digitally? Well, since I mentioned I follow the financial markets, uh, you know, Bloomberg and, and some of the sites that I get good information from, yes. A perfect day not in the office is spent how? At Beaver Stadium in Penn, on the Penn State campus watching Penn State slaughter Ohio State. <laughs> now you have found your way to my heart forever, Joel. <laughs> the first time I went to Beaver Stadium, I was three years old. Uh, oh, wow. It is, okay. it is my oldest sports allegiance, uh-huh. uh, for sure. I remember going with my grandfather to the old Pitt-Penn State games when that used yeah, to be uh-huh. the weekend after Thanksgiving. Yes. And uh-huh. it was, to use weather, Always freezing. <laughs> I mean, I was never as cold as I was those weekends. Well, I've only missed six home games since 1958. I've been there when it's been snowing and the, the real field temperature has been 20 below zero and so on. But uh, rivaling that almost yes. uh, is uh, being on vacation with all my kids. Yeah. Is there a musical artist or an album even that defines sort of your teenage or collegiate years? Dream. I mean, I'll go way back. I mean, some of the, I mean, Elvis Presley had yeah. some great songs, uh, you know, the Beatles. Is music a big part of your life? Not a big part of Not my life. Not a big part. Okay. Well, I like to dance. Oh, all like right. Any kind of music. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Favorite city in the world? New York City. Not even close. Well, State College is great. I grew up there. I live there. <laughs> they're different but places. A, but they're not, quite a, they're not quite a city. Yeah. New York, Paris. Yeah. One thing that people should know about you that they don't. Maybe that I dance. I, I think we might have gotten that. They might find me at lava at 2 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Not often, but... And with that, thank you so much, Joel. You're absolutely fantastic. One of my absolute favorites. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was delightful. I appreciated the interview. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us here on The Human Element. Please remember to find us anywhere you find your pods. And if you feel so motivated, subscribe or perish the thought. Give us a like. And we'll be back out to you real soon. Bye-bye.